This morning I want to read together two passages from the New Testament. Uh, Luke 20 and 1 Peter, section in 1 Peter. But let's turn together to Luke chapter 20. I want to read uh, through verse 26. And um, the purpose in turning here is as we think about the church of Jesus Christ as Paul instructs Timothy, he, he, uh, he lays out the doctrine of the truth in the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in atoning for and redeeming all of atoning for all the sins of the elect having died for all of them and perfectly redeeming them from every lawless deed and uh, reconciling them in his body uh, to God bring, purchasing, ransoming them paying the ransom price for their deliverance uh, because they in themselves are, are sinners and they are by nature born of Adam and born under sin and born under the uh, the dominion of conditionality meaning con- the, the dominion of false religion the dominion of works righteousness and having laid this out in very short order to Timothy um, he begins to lay out in the rest of the book uh Primarily, meaning primarily the rest of the book, is an instruction to Timothy and to us about the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as that as that is set forth in the practice of the church. How do how do we conduct ourselves in the church and in the world in the light of the truth and in light of the the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ when he speaks about uh, men and women. Uh, we we should connect that to uh, the relationship of Christ and the church. That we should uh, reflect upon that as to what he means based upon the truth of the true husband and the bride. And when he talks about office bearers, and when he talks about um, uh, how we are to understand our relationship with governments and everything, he's he's uh, stating all this in the light. Of the um, the author the the truth and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so that's my interest in turning here. Um, Luke chapter twenty. Let's let's actually begin in uh, chapter nineteen at verse. Uh, boy, it's, I'll start at verse 45. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything. For all the people were very attentive to hear him. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority 
But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to divine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dresser saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him. But they feared the people. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? 
they answered and said to Caesar's, they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. And then over to First Peter uh, chapter 2 in reading from 2 verse 1 to 3 verse 12. And this, the writing of Peter very much parallels the instruction of Paul. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for wickedness or for vice, but as bondservants of God. 
Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because God also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return, when he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word might be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, let's turn over to 1 Timothy. <clears throat> and as he has reminded Timothy, Timothy 
to teach no other doctrine. He then begins to instruct him as to how he is to conduct himself in the church of God. Let me just, uh, before I even read this, let's turn over to chapter 3 and First uh, Timothy 3. And here Paul says this to Timothy in verse 14 and following. He tells him exactly why he is writing these things to him about how we are to understand the, the uh, governing authorities and how we are to pray for them. About how we are to um, pray without wrath and doubting. About how we, women are to conduct themselves in the church. How they are, what is the um, meaning for the way in which they even dress themselves and um, are careful not to exercise authority over a man in the church. Why is that? Why is it, you know, why would that be that he says these things? And we're going to get to these things, Lord willing, as we preach through this book. And he speaks about uh, leaders, the leaders of the church. What are the, what are the uh, characteristics and what are the qualities that they are to have and that God has given them? What are the gifts? What are the um, circumstances of their life where they are to be recognized by the church as elders and overseers and, and uh, teachers and preachers and also likewise uh, deacons and um, how the church is to be structured uh, and he says these things and uh, he gets that far and he goes on from here chapters 4 and 5 and 6 he goes on from here to teaching them how they are to conduct themselves in the church and how they are to conduct themselves in the world how the church is to be uh, governed and ordered and he says it for this reason Okay, 1 Timothy 3.14 he says these things now look at this very closely. These things I write to you though I hope to come to you shortly. 1 Timothy 3.14 But if I am delayed I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Timothy, if I am delayed, I'm writing these things so that you will know, and, and especially know if I am delayed, how the church is to be ordered, structured, how they are to live their lives in the knowledge of the truth. both in the church and among brethren and in the world and how they are to live in this world. Conduct yourself 
in the house of God as a member of the family of God, having been adopted into the family through the work of Jesus Christ, or you could say on account of the work of Jesus Christ, uh, or as the basis, on the basis of, as the ground of, the, uh, his work is the ground of, the basis of the uh, work of the Spirit in bringing God's people, God's elect to life according to the will of the Father and how they ought to live their lives in this world. And so these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So that there he says it quite straightforwardly. And that's why, um, as we began chapter 2, and we'll read it here now, um, he says, uh, he says, Therefore, or first of all, therefore, in the beginning of chapter 2, he's laid out the doctrine. He then begins to speak about how they are to conduct themselves as believers in the church and in the world. And he goes back then immediately to the doctrine. And then, in verse 8, says this striking statement, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So, um, we begin at verse 18 of chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1.18. We're, we're now becoming very familiar with this, I think. But that's good. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, 1 Timothy 1.18, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, <clears throat> which some, having rejected, concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth of Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, or you might say, not merely with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or costly clothing, because that would um, that actually reflects on what Peter says, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And I I want to stop there and just say one thing. As we think about uh, the second part of this second chapter, which we're not going to get into today, but Lord willing, we will. I mentioned this before. What, What happens is is people, one of the things that can happen, let's say it that is, is people get all hung up. Um, I don't want to, don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, people are get more focused, let's say it this way. People get more focused on the, you could say the controversy, what they perceive as a controversy regarding what Paul says here regarding uh particularly women in the church. And they they miss the forest for the trees. Um, the first thing to think about, and this is my admonishment as you as you read all of this book and all the scriptures, but certainly this book and the instruction as to how men and women and children are to conduct themselves in the house of God. The first thing to think about is the picture of Christ and the church in the relationship and the lives of men and women. And in addition to or uh, in addition to uh, husbands and wives. Because he goes to, he speaks about um, that men are to have authority in the church and women are not to have that authority over men but are to learn from the preachers and teachers and, and, and of in the church because the woman was created for man and when we when we read that in first uh, in Genesis 1 what's said there is that when the woman was brought to man it speaks then of Christ and the church. So we should reflect upon the glory of Christ and the preeminence of Christ and, the, and, and how the church is to be submissive and to, you could say, listen to Christ and be under His authority. That's why I read the chapter chapters and thought about authority as we think about the conduct of ourselves in the church and in the world. And so Paul, uh, uh, and so we, as we think about the relationship or the roles of men and women and male and female in the church, our first thoughts ought to be the relationship of the church to Christ and the honor and the glory of Christ. That we are not to bring glory to ourselves. We are not to be seeking our own glory. But we are to be living, you could say, modestly and in humility and in deference to Christ and to be taught by Him. And so the relationship and the, the instruction to the church is all built upon the reality of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ over all things, over all the world, over all creation by the appointment of the Father, and most especially by the power of the Spirit of Christ, most especially in the church.
so that our consideration of the roles of men and women, our consideration of the instruction of the uh, gifts of God and the appointment of, of leaders in the church and, and the special role, for example, of, of childbearing for women. And on and on we could go the way that, we, that, he, that he goes in the instruction of how we are to conduct ourselves in the house of God. My point is that it begins with, it, it starts with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority of Christ and the glory of Christ and the relationship of the church to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at it, as we, as we consider all of the instruction from that truth, it uh, is a, a foundation. It is a, a place from which we can better understand what is the reason for this instruction. What does he mean? And in the light of other scripture, which we will, Lord willing, look at, um, we, can fill, we can fill this out. And uh, and so, but today I want to I want to focus on verse two and verse one and two and verse uh, eight in more detail. But even as we do this, we're thinking of it from that ground. And so that's what he that's what he says. As I said last week, he starts out first of all, therefore. So the New King James says, therefore. I exhort first of all, and uh, and the uh, new, it was either the New American Standard or the literal version. I think it was the literal version that says first of all, therefore. So all instruction, and I said this last week, but for the benefit of our remembrance, all the instruction to the church. is founded upon, is grounded upon the perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And without the knowledge by the Spirit of the perfect atonement, the perfect redemption, the perfect substitutionary uh, death, the perfect ransom paid for a particular set of individual people, called the elect of God or the bride of Christ or the chosen or the vessels of mercy and on and on we go throughout the scripture. Without that truth and that truth held to dogmatically not because we just want to be right. Not because we decided you could say we decided to believe this truth. We decided to believe this way. And now by golly we're going to hold to it. We're, go, we're not going to swaver, uh, waver from it, sway away from it. Not, not because of that, not because of some personal zeal or uh, preferential uh, preferential commitment to holding to something that we've decided to hold to because it's the right thing to hold to. No, not because of that. But because we've been born again. Because we've been 
it's been revealed to us by the power of the Spirit of the truth of the Gospel of Christ by the power of God. Because the truth of Christ is life to us. He is our life. He is our meat. He is our drink. He is our bread. He is our wine. Uh, Because of what Christ has done for us and all those like us, therefore, we receive this instruction grounded upon the purpose and work of God for the elect, which is exactly what Abraham believed, exactly what Noah believed, exactly what Enoch believed, exactly what the women of old believed who adorned themselves with submissiveness and quietness and and were uh, gave deference to their husbands because their true husband was the Lord Jesus Christ. And they knew that he was not the husband of all, but he was the husband of just those that he loved. Because these things are true, because of the truth of Christ, first of all, therefore, I exhort that supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceful life. So, um, we don't... The point is, we pray that the governing authorities will govern in such a way that the church might be free to worship and free to pursue love and good works that the will of God, that all things work together for the good of the church, that that might be promoted. That might be uh, the, the case in our experience. And so we pray, without wrath and doubting, we're going to get to that in a minute, we pray for all types of men. If, if, if it were true, let me just say this, if it were true that we were to pray for every individual, every human being that we know, then the scriptures would never say that we don't pray for certain types of individuals. In other words, First John says, you're not to pray. I do not say you should pray about that. I do not say that you should pray about those who commit the sin of... Uh, departure from the faith and those who have apostatized. He says, I did not say, say that you should pray about that. And it also would not be consistent. I mean, think about this. If, if he means that we are to pray for all men in the sense that, um, as I just mentioned, then how do you reconcile that with so much of the Old Testament? where God declared certain individuals, certain nations, certain peoples, certain whole groups to be the enemies of the Jews. And he doesn't say to pray for them. He doesn't say to, uh, you could say, love them in that sense. But as they are declared, we're going to get to this in a moment uh, more, but as they are declared as by God as their enemies, then they are to be put to death. 
And so how do we reconcile that with this statement if, if this statement means every human being who has ever lived and is living now and will ever lived? And, it does, and so it does not mean that. It cannot mean that in the truth of the gospel. What it mu- does mean that God is the Savior of all types of men. People from all ethnic groups, all walks of life, all influences and so forth. And since that is true, and since we don't know as we pray for the authority, governing authorities and so forth, A, we don't know who the, who the elect are necessarily, and B, um, they are uh, uh, governing, they are established by God for the, for the punishment of the evildoers and the rewarders of those who do good, as it says in Romans chapter 13 then we are to pray for all types of men because Jesus Christ is the one who paid a ransom for all of the elect and all types of human beings are included in the kingdom of God. And he says, that to the end, as I said last week, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So in the light of that, I want to focus on. Uh, by the way, we 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 saw that. Um, let me just finish that thought. We we saw that in First Peter chapter three, where Peter said, "Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who sent by him for the punishment of evildoers." and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And of course Paul said that in Romans chapter 13, which we read last week. Now, I'll say this again. The assumption being, it's not that we are always to obey everything that the government commands. Because if the government overtly commands, or commands acts, and conduct which is overtly against the uh, is against the law of God is against the morality of God, then we are not to obey that. And we gave some examples. So what's assumed here is that when Paul writes, for example, in, first, in Romans thirteen, that the government's are establishment for the punishment of evildoers and the reward of those who do good. It's talking about evil and good is the way even the world understands that in moral terms. Uh, someone who's a murderer, well, they ought to be incarcerated. They ought to be punished. Someone who's uh, a thief, uh, an extortioner, a liar, etc. These things we ought not to do. And if we are... If we are uh, punished for doing these things well we should be punished for doing these kinds of things because governments were were given and ordered by God they were they were ordained of God to get, to give order to society that society would go on and on and on that ultimately that all the elect would be born and all the sins of, uh, and they would come to faith, and all the sins of those who are will be eternally judged will be uh, carried out. They they will come to expression. 
And so there is an orderliness that God has stitched into and ordained into the societies ultimately for the good of Christ for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. And so we made that point last week. And we saw that in Luke 20. We saw that in Luke 20 where he says you know render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God's what is God's. Well, Caesar has the authority ultimately under the authority of God. The governments are under and ordained by God, and they are carrying out what God has ordered. But we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He has authority over the currency, in this case the denarius. It's his inscription. So he uses that as a picture. So give honor Give honor to the king. Respect the king. But but he also says, and to God the things that are God's. That's what, if you read, if, we won't go into this whole chapter of 20, but ultimately what they were doing in all of chapter 20, they were taking the very things of God. The very, um, the temple, notice how they were selling things in the temple. Well, they were using the temple, some of them, as they were using the temple for their own gain. And the Pharisees were using the Word of God for their own gain, for their own self-righteousness. And they couldn't answer the baptism of, God, of John because, because if they did this way or that way, see, it exposed their hypocrisy. It exposed that they were not of the truth. They couldn't speak truthfully. They were of the lie and they were concerned about their life in this world. They were using the things of God for their own benefit. They were not rendering unto God the things that are God. So as the church of Jesus Christ render unto God the things that are God. Things that are God's. And that's by the grace of God. By the truth of the Spirit. That's what we do. We submit to, to His righteousness. We lovingly submit to His righteousness. We render to God the things that are God's. Therefore, he says, now verse 8. I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. In other words, I desire every, therefore that the men in the churches as leaders, doesn't mean that women can't pray in your homes, doesn't mean that women can't pray. It means that as leaders in the church that the men pray in all the churches, in each of the fellowships, lifting up holy Hands submitting yourself to God in all submission without wrath and without doubting. Now we mentioned this last week and I want to just... What does this mean? What does it mean that we are to pray without wrath? Well, that word wrath 
means, I looked it up, means anger, indignation, vengeance. And I think it really has the notion of partiality based upon attributes of the flesh or based upon who people are according to nature. So if you're a Gentile believer or if you're a Jewish believer, for example, no matter what race you are, and and in Gentiles there's many different races, but a Jew or Gentile whether you're, if you're slave or free, if you're a person of influence and a, or not, if you're a person of means and wealth or not, pray for the sake of the church. Pray to God for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life without partiality. In other words, don't have a personal agenda. Don't because the person, because the one who's in authority is is of this race or that race or whatever they are, it's not about, tr- truly, it's not about you, whether or not you like a leader or not, whether or not uh, he's of your tribe, you could say, or not. Don't have personal vengeance and personal um, partiality, personal agendas against others. Let it not be about what you want, but let it be for the sake of the church and let it be without partiality based upon and wrath based upon who they are naturally. Because there would have been and was at that time an enmity, a severe hatred between Jews and Gentiles. So, like, for example, uh, bigotry. Let me give you an example. Bigotry based upon race is just is just uh, sinful. Is you know, not not praying for the salvation of all the elect, inclusive of all races, no matter who they might be, to to ha- show some preferential treatment or some partiality based upon uh, a person's race, a person's skin color, a person's whatever, based upon uh, natural, uh, natural generation. That is to be excluded. So without wrath means, with, I think that means without anger or indignation or vengeance or partiality toward individual people because God's elect are in all nations. They, those who are in leadership they may ultimately be one of God's elect. But even if they're not, you are to pray that they would conduct themselves in a manner in which is good for the church. So without wrath, 
and without doubting. Let me get to the doubting and I'll come back to the wrath in a minute. So without doubting. Well, that means without doubting that what Jesus Christ has done in paying the ransom for all that he has absolutely done. Without doubting that Christ has redeemed all the elect no matter who they be. So, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. Basically like this. Without a personal agenda and without without any doubt regarding the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves. Now you say in like manner. What do you mean in like manner? How is it how the women adorn themselves? How does that fit with how men ought to pray without a personal agenda and, and without doubting the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He has done? Well, that's the the same basis is as to how women are to adorn themselves in the church, meaning that they are to adorn themselves knowledgeable that it's not about them. It ought not to be about their glory. It ought not to be about what they want in their in their fleshly selves. But it ought to be about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they ought to be submissive to Him and He being the center of the church, not them being the center of the church, etc., etc. So it's my point is, it's, it's, um, it's the meaning of these things that is in view. Now we have to, I want to say one more thing. <clears throat> how do we reconcile, I said this earlier, but how do we reconcile much of what the Old Testament says with what God, with what God says about loving your enemies and praying for those who uh, revile you and and spitefully use you, how how is the church to understand that we are to pray without wrath and even pray for those who spitefully use us? Not all of those, as I said earlier, there is a time where we don't pray for someone. But how do we understand this? How do we reconcile, for example, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ teaching in Luke 6 and Mark Matthew 5 with the rest of Scripture, meaning the Old Testament Scripture? So let's, I want to just touch on this briefly, and I'm, I'm not going to exhaust this at all, but I, I do want to um, touch on this. And I think it has much to do with the age of the Jewish nation versus the age of the Gentiles. What I mean by that is Jesus Christ clearly says, speaks about the age of the Gentiles, which is the time following his work of establishing righteousness and establishing a perfect atonement and redemption, his work in the, in the, uh, in the world. Before that was primarily what might be called the age of the Jews. That God was working through, as I said before, uh, primarily one people group. And then we come into the coming of Christ and then the gospel goes out and Jesus Christ himself calls it the age of the Gentiles. And so the, the, the meaning of everything that came before is expressed in a different manner uh, after his earthly ministry. And so if we turn over to Matthew chapter 5, just keep that in view, 
and I hope I'm not losing you, but I just want to touch base on this one, this one thing. Look at Matthew chapter 5, and beginning at verse 43, and put your finger there, if you would please, and then turn over to Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27. Um, this is going back to uh, without wrath and doubting. All right. He says in Luke five forty-three, and again, don't lose the connection. So we're jumping from without wrath and doubting. I said without having personal vendettas, personal vengeance, uh, personal uh, hatred, but rather we as believers are to understand that we were enemies of God by nature. And while we were yet enemies, God loved us. He loves the elect, even while naturally they're enemies. And Christ died for us while we were still enemies. Um, Paul, speaking this way to the Romans, after the coming of Christ. You know, before the coming, it's interesting, isn't it? Before the coming of Christ, one might say, well, Christ died for Abraham after he was reconciled. In other words, from a time standpoint, Abraham was brought to faith. Abraham was regenerated. And he was already a friend of God. He was already reconciled to God and his person. But Christ had not died yet. But the scriptures say in Romans that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Well, can 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 that be said about Abraham? From a time standpoint. Well, no, not from a time standpoint. I mean, Abraham became a friend of God and Christ died for him later. But as far as we're concerned, Christ died for us in the past while we were still enemies we were born as enemies. So, but it's not talking about uh, a time issue as to what happens chronologically. It's talking about what we are by nature and what Abraham was by nature. That's what it's talking about. That by nature, we were enemies and Abraham was an enemy. And even while Abraham was an enemy by nature... Christ died for Abram and God changed his name to Abraham. Even though chronologically Christ died after Abraham Abram became Abraham. So it's talking about God's love for the elect even as they are by nature enemies. So Matthew 5.43 you have heard that it was said. Now I said keep your I asked you to keep your finger in Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 6. Now I even want to stop there. He says, You have heard that it was said. And when you read this, when I read when I read this, I'm like, well, the only ones who are going to understand this are those whose eyes have been opened. We haven't read it yet right now, but we're, Lord willing, we're going to. But as you read through it, you're like, look, he's not talking about 
mankind generally loving their enemies. He's talking about how the, uh, the regenerate elect are to live. How they are to conduct themselves. Just like Paul is ta- saying to Timothy that they are to pray for, for leaders with every, everywhere without wrath and without doubting. And so he begins, Matthew 5, 43, you have heard that it was said. But now flip over Luke chapter 6. And look how he begins the same section in Luke 6. And I, I didn't even know it read this way until I looked at it this morning. But Luke 6, verse 27, here's what he says. But I say to you who hear. You see that? Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who here, when the Lord Jesus Christ is preaching on the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Matthew 5, he's, he's speaking, He's preaching to His disciples. If you look over at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, stay with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, He says, and seeing the mul- it says, and seeing the multitudes, He went up on a mountain, and when He was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So what's written on the Sermon on the Mount is for the elect, and ultimately for the regenerate elect. How they are to conduct themselves. How they are to understand all of reality. And so when he gets to, in Matthew 5, when he gets to verse 43, he's speaking to his disciples, just like the rest of the, the whole of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And my point is, Luke six twenty seven says that exactly. It says, but I say to you who hear. So in the context of the multitude, and by the way, there was a multitude. In the context of speaking to the whole crowd, or speaking there in, in the presence of the whole crowd, He is speaking to His disciples. He is teaching His disciples. And by the way, that's the pattern throughout all of Scripture. What He says even to, uh, for example, those who are not His sheep. Why would He even speak and preach the Gospel to those who are not His sheep? Well, He's speaking to to them because it's going to be recorded and it's going to be for the sake of the church to, to hear it and read it. And it's also for the hardening of those who are not his sheep. So it's always that way. It's always that way. So I say to you who hear, Luke 6. So we go back to Matthew 5, and we might read Matthew 5.43 like this. You who hear have heard that it was said. You who hear have heard that it was said. Matthew 5.43. You who have ears to hear, you have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. 
that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Let's pause there. Well, does he mean, and this is the, 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 uh, the tension, does he mean love all of your enemies, every last one of them? Well, if he did, then he'd be saying that God loved all of his enemies. Because he, he goes on to say later on, uh, for your, uh, th- that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the e- evil and the good and so forth. And it also would be in conflict with what happens with a very much of the Old Testament, where when God declares, in the Old Testament, where God declares a, an individual or demonstrates, not just declares, but demonstrates an individual or a group of people or a whole nation of people, he declares them to be enemies and he commands the Israelites to put them to death, then that would be an absolute contradiction to what Jesus Christ is saying here. But actually what Christ, what Jesus Christ is saying here is fulfilling the meaning of that Old Testament. And what the meaning of it is, when God has openly declared someone to be an enemy of his, they are worthy of death. And he puts them to death. He's declared them to be an enemy. And the point is that God is the one who declares someone unrighteous, and God is the one who declares someone righteous. And where someone is not declared, where it's uncertain, like in the life of Abraham, Abraham went up against the five kings and he slaughtered them. But regarding Abimelech, who wasn't a believer, he didn't slaughter him. And God did not declare to Abraham that Abimelech was an enemy in that sense. I'm using that as an example. The point being that the Old Testament is not in conflict with the New Testament. And even the New Testament is not in conflict with the New Testament. For example when he says pray for those who spitefully use you as I mentioned earlier there's also instruction that we are not to pray for certain enemies there are certain enemies we're not to pray for and don't pray for so he's not in just like it says you know the word all is not only all in fact most often it's not every last person same is true here but I say to you love your enemies He's not, he's not saying, but I say to you, love every one, last one of every one of your enemies. He's not saying that. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Just like, for example, Stephen did. Stephen did that. Stephen prayed for, the, for those that were stoning him. And he was praying, just, and just like Christ did. Christ on the cross said, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, Stephen said that as well. So they're praying for the elect. He goes on, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So the the blessing of God, even while they were yet enemies, even while the elect 
are yet not reconciled in their person to Himself, yet they will be. God is merciful. He sends the Son, in this case, this is a a sign of blessing, on those who are yet evil and on the good. Well, who are the good? The good are the regenerate. And the evil here are the unregenerate elect. He he makes his son to rise on the unregenerate elect and on the regenerate elect. And he sends rain on the just. Well, who are the just? Well, they're the regenerate elect. And on the unjust, the unregenerate elect, yet in their person. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? In other words, if God only loved those who loved him, well then he wouldn't love anyone because no one, according to nature, loves God. So God is demonstrating, Jesus Christ is teaching those who have ears to hear, he's teaching that God loves all the elect, just as the scripture teaches, and we are to pray for all types of men because Christ is the ransom of all. He is the the one who paid the ransom for all. And we are not to hold personal grudges or not pray or we are not to hold uh, or, or not to hold vengeance, personal vengeance or partiality. We are not to do that, but we are to pray without wrath and without doubting the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And my disciples, if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others, do not even the tax collectors do there. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as our Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, God is perfectly merciful, even to those who, of the elect who hate him. He is merciful to them, and he, as it teaches everywhere in the scriptures, he endures all things, you could say. Paul says this about himself. He endures all things for the sake of the elect. Jesus Christ endured all things for the sake of the elect. God is long-suffering for the sake of the elect, that they would come to faith. And He long-suffering, long-suffers even the reprobate for the sake of the elect. My point here is that we are to pray for all types of men even if naturally they are enemies A. for the sake of the church and B. because we don't know at that time we we may not know at that time if they are one of those for whom Christ paid the ransom and so this See, Matthew 5.43 does not conflict with Luke 6.27 and following. And that does not conflict with the Old Testament Scripture. And it does not conflict with the work of Jesus Christ and the purpose of Jesus Christ in His coming. And it does not conflict with the instruction that, yes, we are to pray for our enemies, but there are also some enemies that we are not to pray for. And so as we pray, pray without doubting and pray without 
wrath. That the church might live. Now back to Timothy. That the church might live, lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You see, he's teaching even our conduct, our prayer life, if you want to put it that way. He's teaching us how we all are to pray. Deliver us from the hands of our enemies. We pray that. And these things don't conflict with uh, Psalm 56 or so many other psalms where the psalmist prays for the destruction of his enemies. Well, he's praying when God has openly shown and declared that they are enemies. But where God has not openly shown that, we are to pray for all types of people that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence and that all of the elect of God would come to faith. It is truly about the church and the life of the church is truly about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of His great name. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your instruction to us in how we are to pray and conduct ourselves. And we pray that You would give us further understanding that I would be able to communicate these things more clearly for the sake of the brethren. We pray that You would bring glory to Your name in the judgment of those You declare to be unrighteous and for the blessing of those that You declare to be righteous. For You, Father, are righteous. And Your Son has demonstrated that righteousness. And we pray according to Your Word. We ask that you would discipline us and encourage us to conduct ourselves in the world honorably, carefully, that the testimony of Christ might not be blasphemed, may not be blasphemed. And we pray these things for one another through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.